Well, good morning, church. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks for being here today. I know we have some guests, visitors for the first time checking us out, and we say thank you uh, for coming to worship with us. Uh, Dayton is not lacking in churches, and for you to come here, we thank you for doing that. Um, In your seat back is uh, some communication cards. If you'd be nice enough to fill that out uh, when we take up the offering at the end of uh, the service today, we just love to follow up and say thank you for coming uh, and being a part of our service today. Hope. Uh, two things. One, that you feel like this is, uh, this is family. And, and, and when you leave here, you feel like you belong here and you come back. And we just want to thank you for being here. If you've been with us the last uh, couple weeks, we've been in Philippians and we're going to jump in Philippians 2 today. Um, I had uh, uh, last night, it was one of those spiritual tension moments. I wanted to wear my golden black today, but the, the sermon title is, is uh, Unity Through Humility. So I thought I can't I can't wear it, so I just got to put on a jacket and a regular shirt. So that's what I did, and some of you are in mourning, and hopefully this service will lift your spirits up by the time you leave this place today, Um, but it was a fun night of football, wasn't it, for some of us. Um, So we're going to be in Philippians 2. We've been in uh, Philippians 1 for two weeks, had a little pause, had missions week, which was fantastic. Cheryl did a great job sharing last week. Uh, Just her testimony of being in the mission field for 35 years is is enough for me to say, I need to get my act together, and I need to be more bold for the gospel. Um, but in Philippians, we've noticed Paul uh, not only encouraging this little church that he was a part of seeing start, uh, but also uh, he's challenging them. Uh, in chapter 1, he was challenging them to grow in Christ. He was challenging them to live in Christ, and he was writing this letter Uh, in what we would consider, and I'm sure if Paul were here today, would say he would consider as well some pretty bad circumstances. He was in prison once again uh, for advancing the gospel message. We know Paul's story. I think God knew he was a passionate guy. Um, He was so passionate at the beginning, he despised the church. He was persecuting the church. He, He wanted nothing to do with the church, and he wanted to see it come to an end. And then God got a hold of this passionate guy in Acts 9, an encounter like you wouldn't believe, and his life was forever changed. And this same passion uh, was transferred to the gospel. And he was willing to share with anybody and everybody that would listen. He wasn't writing this on his uh, nice computer in a nice setting. He was in prison, uh, on trial, uh, uh, falsely, and didn't know if he was going to die that day or the next day or the coming days because of it. Philippians 1 verse 6, this awesome passage that he shared, if you remember, it says, for he who began a good work in you, he began a good work in Paul, he knew it. He began a good work in this church of Philippi, he knew that. That he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. And he said, keep growing in your walk with him. And then we noticed in Philippians 1 verse 21, a famous verse that uh, many of you have heard, Paul is, 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 is battling because he's, he's in prison. He would rather go home and be in heaven with his, with his heavenly father, but he knows God's not done with him yet. Uh, so he was, in a, he was in a spiritual tension. And he shared in, in Philippians 1 verse 21 his life motto. And he said, for me to live is Christ, right? It's not all anything else in my life that I'm living for. For me to live is Christ. But to die, it's going to be gain. Whether I'm here on this earth, I'm serving God, Whether I die, I'm going home to be with my God in in heaven. I want to read today in Philippians 1, verse 27, before we jump into chapter 2, because it really sets up 
chapter 2. He makes some pretty bold statement at the end, and I want to, you can follow along up on the screen. Philippians 1 verse 27, whatever happens, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen to me, Paul says. I certainly don't know what's going to happen to you, church. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you, I'm not sure how this is all going to pan out. I may be back. This may not work out, and it may be in my absence. I will know this. I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Paul says, no matter what comes your way, and there could be ugly days ahead. There certainly could be ugly days ahead for me. Be one. Stand together. Be like-minded. Love one another well. Take this gospel to the world. And Paul shares this great, great passage with them that, man, when you do this, our God in heaven is going to be magnified. He shares that at the end of chapter 1, and in chapter 2, he, he makes this great statement with them in chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Paul knew this city was a pagan city, Philippi. He also knew that just a hint, just a seed of, uh, of, of disunity could cause great division in the church. And it could hinder their advancement of the gospel, not only to that community, but around the world. So he gives them this in Philippians 2, 1 through 4. He asks him really four rhetorical questions that are, uh, he's pretty much saying these are already true. But let me, let me remind you. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, you already are. If any comfort from his love, man, he loves you. If any common sharing in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by doing what? By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Paul's saying, Church of Philippi, you've already received these things from Christ Jesus. I'm challenging you now to do something about it. I'm challenging you as a church. I may not get to see you again. Man, to be, what's it say at the end? To be like-minded. Having the same love, because he first loved you, love each other and love those outside the church well. Be of one spirit. That day of salvation, you were filled with the spirit. It's the, it's the common thing of all Christ followers around the world that makes us one, and it's Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross, while we're all so different in backgrounds and look and how we carry on in lives, there's one thing that unites us all as the body of Christ. And he says, be of one spirit and be of one mind. He's saying, church, your job, the role of the church is to make Jesus' name famous. It's to glorify Jesus. It's, it's to tell the world about about Jesus. And the church that's doing that well is a church that's like-minded. It's the church that's one in spirit. It's the church that's loving each other well. Man, as I was reading that this week, is there, there is so much in there for 2018 church for us. And you ask the question of, of what in the world does it look like for us today to be unified to be like-minded in a world where it seems like everything and every decision and every statement made begins to polarize people, not only against each other, but it creates hatred between, between people and people groups. 
What's it look like for the church to lead the way and, and just do it differently and to be, to be unified? Well, here's what it doesn't look like. Unification and being unified doesn't mean we're all going to look the same. Being unified doesn't mean we're all going to dress the same and act the same and, and carry ourselves uh, in the same way. We're not all going to have the same preferences. We're not all going to have the same likes or the same dislikes. Being one doesn't even mean we're going to always gather around at the end of the day, just all agree, you know, and move forward. There'll be times we disagree, times we argue, times you have to hash it out. But at the end of the day, there's one thing that makes us one, and it's Jesus Christ. To be one body, one spirit, one mind, loving people well. Doesn't mean we're going to agree on every issue that comes along. On every issue that comes along, we would probably have a disagreement in this room on every single Every single one. But here's what Paul's telling the church. The purpose of the church is to be like-minded around the mission that our Father in heaven has called us to. Oh, we've got our differences, Paul says. But church, be very careful with that. Because we will use those, instead of seeing them as opportunity to become one, we will use those to create opposition and to put silo off people. You go there, you go here, and you all need to stand in the back. And Paul's saying, not in the church. It's a non-negotiable for the local church. It's a non-negotiable church of Philippi. As you move forward, you need to stay. You need to stay unified. Man, as I was reading that this week uh, and thinking of not only this church, but the local church around the world in 2018, do you realize the opportunity that is before us? I share it with the staff and I share it with the board as well that we have an opportunity to model something as leaders and as a church body to this world that is so foreign to this world. We have an opportunity to model something different of what it means to be one around a mission, about, about what it means to be like-minded, about what it means to love one another in a world where it seems like moral decline is like an epidemic, right? And everywhere we turn and every radio we turn on and every TV we turn on, bam, there's more dysfunction. There's more division. What if the church led the way in doing this a different way? I shared in my e-news note uh, for the three people in here that read it on Friday, and you, you, the rest of you will be the first time you hear this. What's it look like for us to do that? We can model how to handle conflict the way Jesus taught us. Imagine if we just got that one right. The example that we would be to the world as, as Christ followers of how to handle conflict, of not just button heads with people and at the end of the day trying to be right. But no, 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 we handle conflict the way Jesus taught us and maybe some Sunday we'll spend a whole day on that. We can model something different by the way we treat each other, by the way we truly honor one another and we respect one another, by the way we see other people better than ourselves. Imagine what that would look like if we modeled that to the world. Paul's trying to get the church of Philippi to understand this. Imagine what it would look like to, to love other people, even though they are so different than us. And their differences sometimes butt up against us, right? And we don't like it. What would it look like for us to love each other, even though we are so, so different? What would it look like to model in every conversation and when every disagreement comes between people of Christ followers and people all over the world, that the end game is not to make you wrong and me right, to show I'm superior, you're wrong, you know? And we do that all the time. What would it look like, I was thinking for this body specifically this week, we have one of the greatest opportunities because we have two styles at this church. 
two styles of worship, one of which I experience both every single week. Many of you experience one. What does it look like for us to be one in that realm? Instead of seeing styles of worship, that's just simply a tool. As opposition, we see those, no, that, that's opportunity. Because when I invite people to this place, they might not want to go to that one, but they may go to this one. And, and what if we guard against that? I proclaim to you today, church, guard against it. Don't ever let style or programming or preference get in the way of the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, when that happens, look out. And he'll, he'll point to that here in a minute. But we have an opportunity, church, to model something so, so different. To be one. We can never forget what it looks like for us to model to the world what it means to be one rallied around the mission of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, when we do that and we do it well, it will not make sense, but it will be attractive to the world because they'll look at that and they will experience it nowhere, nowhere else. We must constantly remember that, that the church exists for the sick. You know the story in Mark 2. Jesus just healed a paralyzed man. And then for all intents and purposes, he finds himself eating with tax collectors, which were despised during that time. And nobody liked tax collectors. And sinners, it says in the Bible. The Pharisees get their binoculars out and see Jesus with, with these Pharisees and tax collectors and go by and say, what in the world are you doing eating with them? Why would you be with them? I thought you were the holy God. I thought you were the one that was set apart and you find yourself eating with these people. And in Mark 2, verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know when unity's easy? When everything's the way we like it. Unity's easy when everything kind of fits my schedule and everything fits my mold and everything fits my preferences. But as our God in heaven grows the church, more and more people will come in here that don't even like your preferences and don't like your way of doing things. It's what Paul is saying, man, don't be united about those fringe, weird things that churches get all crazy about. Be united around the gospel of Jesus Christ and appreciate all the preferences. Appreci appreciate all the differences in the body. The church is not a place for everybody that's got it all together to show up and worship God because if that was the case, how many of you would be in here worshiping God? None of us. None of us would be, would be welcome. The church is not a place for that. It's not a place for perfect people. It's a place for broken people. And, and as you walk just out these doors and head down the, the roads of Centerville, Ohio, you will see broken people left and right with a smile on their face, pretending everything's great. And inside, they are broken. Because Jesus is not the Lord of their life. It should be a place that lives out uh, Luke 15. I shared that story with the UD football team yesterday. And, and the idea that, that we should be seeing sinners from a distance and running to them. And, and giving them a hug. Instead of seeing sinners from a distance and pointing at them and saying, they need to get their act together. And then they could show up in this holy place called Centerville Community Church. Can you see where it goes? You can see where division takes off? Can you see where personal desire and preference begins to win the day? When we're supposed to be a movement of the Most High God, reaching people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the taglines tag you've probably heard me say, and, and you're going to hear more often, is that every single person that walks through our doors should never feel isolated, should, should never be at a place where they feel like they're excluded. 
But we want, it's just I shared when I welcomed the guests today, every single person that walks through these doors to feel like they belong here. Some of you forget how awkward it is to walk into a brand new church with brand new people for the very first time. It is intimidating. I don't even like it. I don't like it. When I go to other churches and it's my first time, I'm like, I don't know if I belong in this place. We want to we rip that wall down so that everybody that walks here feels like they belong here. That is the mission of the church. Paul's saying the mission of the church is to grow and advance the gospel. It'll never be about preferences. It'll never be about style. It'll never be about a smorgasbord of programming. All of that is just a tool that comes and goes in church world. But the thing that we wrap our oneness around is the mission and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, a church that is unified, look out. Had a former pastor that... um, work for in this area say this, that our, the enemy is not scared, uh, it's not scared at all of a big church, but the enemy is threatened and scared to death of a unified church. Because that church, that church can, can, can begin to knock down walls and can, can begin to build bridges and communities like never before. A unified, a unified church. Cheryl shared it last week in Matthew 5, who we are and what we're about. Uh, that we truly are the light of the world A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Uh, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Paul builds on that in in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. He says, we, means you and and I and, and Paul and everybody that went before us, we are therefore Christ and ambassadors to the world. Little me, little you are image bearers of Jesus everywhere we walk and everywhere we go. And on one end of that sentence, that scares me to death. And on the other end of that, it makes me so excited that he would entrust us to be ambassadors of this gospel to the world. It says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You know, a church is most effective when it's unified. A church that's unified is strong. A church that's unified, uh, you are in protection with that because we are one. A church that's unified is bold. A church that's unified is courageous. Get out of the way, right? A church that's unified and responding to Jesus is an incredible, incredible church. Now on the contrary, a church that is divided is so weak. A church that is divided finds themselves at a place where they just... They're they're powerless in getting the gospel out to the world because they miss it when it comes to what Scripture talks about, the church being one, the body of Christ, not the bodies of Christ, all these different things doing their own thing. Uh, How many of you in your house have a uh, one person, at least in the house, is a channel flipper? They can't ever keep it on one channel for about 10 seconds and then it's to the next one. I do that once in a while. Sports aren't on. It's like, you know, getting through the rest of them. Nats takes the remote and turns on what she wants. But one of the things I like to land on here and there is some of the animal shows, whether it be on National Geographic or Animal Planet or you name it. And one of my favorite things about uh, the, these shows is, is kind of the attacks and how these people live and work. And you can pop the picture up on the screen. The, the lion chasing after the wildebeest, right? Is there anything more exhilarating than watching that? And is there anything more sickening than watching that as well? It's the same, it's the same thing, you know. But when does the lion attack the wildebeest? Does it attack the whole pack and just hope it gets one? It usually is attacking the one on the fringe, the one that maybe has gotten hurt, 
The one that is as slow in step and has gotten away and separated from the pack, and the lion knows, bam, that, that, that wildebeest is mine. That's lunch, that's dinner, because it is away. Did you know the Bible paints the same picture about us? That there's a spiritual enemy. There's a spiritual enemy that wants nothing more than to cause disorder and, and disunity in the church. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Church, we're strongest. We're at our best when we're unified. But we are weakest. We are weakest when we're divided. It's my prayer for this church. If we don't get anything right, if we never had a good worship set, a good sermon, a good program, if we never did anything that great, that we would be a body that always stays united. That's my prayer. I pray that we would be one. I pray that we would be of like mind. I pray that we would love each other well. Did you know, and I, one of the greatest gifts you could give to this church is not when the offering plate comes around. That's nice because it's, it's being a, a obedient to what God's called you to. It's not when you serve. That's incredible as well, because God does something. One of the greatest gifts you can give this, to this body is promote unity in every single conversation, in every single environment, in every single thing, word, and deed that you say. Promote unity in this body. And here's the deal. It's going to get nothing but harder, because we live in a culture where moral decline is rampant, uh, it's going to get, the Bible points to it. In the last days, things are going to get worse before they get better, before our, before our coming king comes back for, for his bride, for his church. It's going to get harder as we continue to carry the mission of the gospel out and more and more people show up here, whether it be in the hundreds or the thousands, right? Because we're going to get people of different preferences, of different backgrounds, of different ways of living, of different ways of doing things. And ch- churches constantly drift uh, towards disunity. They rarely without a lot of work, drift towards unity. So everybody in here has a part to play. Everybody in here has a, has a major part to play in, in promoting and cheering on unity for this church. It's why last month when we had our new member class, um, if, uh, the very first thing on the new member covenant, uh, we give a little blurb about Centerville Community Church, and then we pop it up on the screen. This is what it says for us to commit to, that I will do everything in my power to protect the unity of this church by acting in love toward other members, refusing to gossip, and following, and following leadership. Why is that so important? Because God has called us to it. Why is it so important? Because the stakes are so high. The stakes are eternal. That we don't have any room for disunity. We don't have any room for separation. The stakes are way too big. We've been called to something way bigger than us. And for me to cause disunity, it's like, whoa, 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 who in the world do I think I am? It's what Paul's calling this church to, and it's a stern uh, warning and a stern wake-up call. Church of Philippi, you're in a pagan city, oh, be careful. Because disunity, it starts as a little seed, and it will go like cancer. And it will begin to own the whole church and the whole community. So Paul gives a little bit of info there, and then he shares very personal in the next part of this passage. In Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Uh, He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but to each each of you to the interest of others. And what Paul's sharing with this church and with us today is it's it's polar opposite of our culture. This is countercultural, right? 
because it's all about me. It's all about my wants and my desires and and creating things in my image and, and making things about getting more, right? It's all over our culture. And sadly, it's creeped into the church. It's creeped into the church to where we we love things our way. We love things to look, to feel, to sense, uh, and, and be a part of our preference likes, right? So we can show up at church every week and, and, and uh, consume, 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 and then throw a couple critiques in, and then consume, consume, consume. And then we show up next Sunday and just do the same old thing and consuming and consuming, and, and then we'll throw out a critique, and it's this habitual cycle. And Paul says, oh, be careful of that. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. And Paul says, don't buy into that mindset. Don't buy into the mindset that life is all about yourself because it'll lead to an ugly place. Why would Paul say that? Because he knew it. He lived it. If there was one man in Scripture that before his time uh, encounter with Christ, it was all about himself, it was It was all about Paul. And Paul said, I never found true freedom in that. I never found true life in that. The place I did find true life and the place I did find true freedom is when I I walked in humility and I started to consider other people better than myself. And and when I began just to, 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 to sell myself out to get this gospel to the world. And I love what Paul does. Paul's like, all right, you don't believe me? Well, let's point towards Jesus. And that's what he does for the rest of chapter 2 through verse 11. He shares, hey, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Well, let me give you an example, the greatest example. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. In your relationships, this is probably one we could plop up on our fridge so we can look at every day. Have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. It wasn't like a perk. You know, it wasn't like I'm in. I'm in the club and I got a couple extra perks and look at me. Rather, what did he do? He made himself nothing by taking up the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. Here's what he did. He didn't say, well, here's my rights. You know, here, God, what about this. You know, why can't you make this happen before? No, he said he humbled himself. He lowered himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Paul says, Church of Philippi, selfishness, being consumed with your own self, self-absorption, they're about as far away from the heart of God as it could possibly be. Church, be on guard that you never find your place self at a place where selfishness and self-absorption is, is a way of life. Christ didn't even come to be served, but he came to serve. He came to lay down his life as a ransom for many, and, and, and Paul's letting this church of Philippi know, hey, you want to imitate your life after somebody? Church, you want to get it right when it comes to this oneness and humility thing? You've got the greatest example that ever walked this earth, and his name is Jesus. And I encourage you, Church of Philippi, to to imitate him. Paul closes out this section in verse 9 through 11 uh, this way. It says, therefore, in, in light of what Christ did, Paul says, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And this is what's coming. If you want some end times theology, here it is. That At the name of Jesus, every knee 
will bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God's response to Jesus' selflessness, God's response to Jesus humbling himself was he was exalted. Uh, He was praised. He was glorified. He was elevated. That's what he did for Jesus. Jesus, uh, God was, was praised and glorified through his life. The same is true for you and for me. You and I, through our lives, can exalt our God, can praise our God. We can elevate our God, make his name famous, magnify our God. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. That's the heart of God. The question is, do you believe him? Do you trust him? Uh, Will you test him in this? By saying, me as a Christ follower, I'm a part of the body of Christ, just like those words Paul talked to at the church of Philippi. I want to do my part to promote oneness. I want to do my part to be like-minded. I want to do my part to love this body well. I want to do my part to walk in humility, and I want everybody to do it as well. You know, I was reading this uh, this week and tried to read other commentaries just to get another view and, and everything else with Philippians 2. And my question was, is what can I close with um, to the church that would make them, like, what's it look like? What does it look like for a church to truly be one? What does it feel like? What does it, what does it you know, what does it live out like? And I think there's a great passage in Scripture that points to what this whole thing that Paul's talking about, uh, here here it is, and I want to read it to you. But I want to ask you to do something a little different. I want you to close your eyes and and listen to this passage and listen to this church and imagine being a part of a body of Christ that's living out the call of Christ this way. I'm not even going to give you the reference, and you'll know as soon as I start reading it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone in the whole church was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And not even in the church, everybody in the community looking in saw, wow, there's something different going on with this church. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need Is there need in our community? An overabundance. We don't lack for people in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then God did something for them. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being being saved. What do we see in this early church? It was Acts 2. We see a church that's unified. We see a church that is, that is rallying around and, it, and is one and is like-minded when it comes to God's word. They wanted to study it. They wanted to be together. They loved each other well. Whenever there was a need in their community, it was like a no-brainer. It's not somebody else's job to fix the need. We're the body of Christ. Let's, let's, let's help with that need. And they did it. They were devoted to every single follower. They were devoted to help protect and love and care for 
every single follower, and we see an incredibly unified family, a body that's one, a body that gets it when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the very last verse in this passage, because of their devotion, because of their oneness, because of their humility, what did God do for this early church? It says, he added to their number, to their number daily. And it started with them just being obedient to what God called them to do. Church, we're called to be one. I hope you carry the burden and you carry the joy at the same time of your responsibility of keeping this place one. You know, on every team, in every family, uh, in every organization, in every church, it takes a whole slew of people, it takes everyone to promote unity. You know how many people it takes to, to promote and to cause disunity? Just one. Maybe two with an axe to grind. And they just continue on and stir it up, cause division. And I think Paul, I don't know if I can even use these, Paul would probably be here today. He would say, how dare you? How dare you, Christ's follower, to ever cause disunity in God's house with his body? The thing that God's son Jesus went to the cross and died, died for. Let's pray. God, we need your help in this. Because on our own, off to our own, we'll mess it up. We'll cause disorder and disunity. And before you know it, the church will blow up. We'll lose our witness. God, we desperately need you. I thank you for Philippians 127 through Philippians 2 as a reminder to the church today. Let's get this right. Let's model something different. Not just within this body, but wherever we go. Whether it be at work or in our families. We as Christ followers, we're like on the brink. This world's a mess. And we have the hope. We have the person of Jesus Christ to share with this world that is absolutely hopeless and broken. And God, I pray that your spirit we would walk in step with. I pray in every conversation when we're about to spew something that has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ and promoting unity, that you would pause us in our steps. And then you would, you'd help us not to go there. God, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And we as a church have, have charged ourselves with we're going to do something about that. But the only way we can do something about that is with your help. God, be with us. Walk with us. God, in days when we screw it up and we blow it with one another, or even as a church, you give us grace and mercy and we'll get back up and we'll try it again. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's ministry to the Church of Philippi. And may this worship that we're about to sing to you be more than songs on a projector and a screen and instruments up here, but help us to realize we are worshiping the one true living and holy God. We pray this in your name.